before I begin, I would like you all to settle into your seats. Take a deep breath and close your eyes and imagine a stormy sky. The clouds are tinged with glow. Patches of blue peek through, but the sky is stormy. Hills give way to thundering sky before the clouds give way to blue. This, <clears throat> this is what I imagine when I imagine an end of the world sky, very similar to an El Greco painting. An aura of doom even with a sunny sky, each cloud holding something tumultuous and secretive back. And though the painting I am thinking of, the view of Toledo, is not about the end of the world, its sky shares similarities with many an apocalyptic painting. The German painter Ludwig Meinder, in his piece Apocalyptic Landscape, also depicts chaos. Clouds that though they also have glow are sharp, pointed, looking as though they will pierce the tiny bits of blue that still exist amongst the storm. In a world that seems on many days ready to give way to El Greco skies, I think it is important for people who love this world to think about what we do, how do we act in the face of an end. Regardless of the world ending or not, there is hope to be found in seeing or visualizing the end and living beautifully in the face of possible ruin. In some ways, I have already survived apocalypse. I am a child of it. My father came to this country as a refugee from Vietnam, and he fled with many others in 1975 as Saigon fell. He woke up one day, and the country he had known was gone. There was a new flag, the cash saved in bags in the basement was worth nothing, and he was headed to a new country with a new language, a new culture, a new government, a new everything. The end of all he'd ever known. Recently, I was chatting with some of my aunties, and I realized that many of my older relatives had never known peace, had only ever known war, storm, until they, until they immigrated. That between French colonization, Japanese occupation during World War II, civil war, US war, they had never not lived with war. War was normal, peace, the aberration. Apocalypse, the storm, was normal. So many of us are survivors of other apocalypses. Violence is so transforming that nothing is unchanged. Genocides, wars, famines, floods. And many of us know something about how to survive apocalypse. We have spiritual skills, maybe ones we wish we hadn't earned, and wisdom about getting through. And we testify to a terrifying and a liberating truth. However we are now is probably how we'll be 
at the end of the world. Whatever love or greediness, whatever armor or tenderness, whatever selfishness or selflessness that is ours now is likely to be with us when we confront the ruin. And as I think of the ruin ahead and the ruin we already know, I think about the children I take care of. A precocious young child I often babysit for has asked me on several occasions, what happens at the end of the world? I am of course always taken back and frankly disappointed that our conversation has left dinosaurs so quickly. Always nervous about saying something that will spark too much anxiety too much pain for someone so little. So first, I tell him that the end of the world is probably not going to happen for a long time. Then I ask him, what do you think? What do you think happens at the end of the world? He tells me people will probably be gone. And then he asks, do you think people will be gone? I first tell him, I don't know. And then I think about what comfort he needs from this question. I think about the need to confirm that his anxiety is real, the feeling that the world could end. I attempt to affirm what he is feeling is real. I tell him things are going to change, but things are always changing and have already changed. And then I recognize the need to know that something, anything, will last something that we know and feel will keep going. I tell him that so many things will change, but that I believe our love will last. I believe that no matter what happens, there will be some sort of legacy of love that outlasts us all and will occupy some spot amongst the galaxies. The brilliant activists writers and sisters who I'm often turning to these days, Adrian and Autumn Brown, host a podcast called How to Survive the End of the World. The tagline is, learning from apocalypse with grace, rigor, and curiosity. As the Wailing Jennies sing and as our young person read from the box earlier, when that storm comes, don't run for cover. Don't run from the coming storm. There ain't no use in running. I am definitely not fearless in the face of all the big and little ends of the world. And when I can free my heart up a little bit and free my brain up a little bit from the onslaught of personal and political grief and harm of these days, sometimes I can remember that being afraid of what is coming, trying to run from that storm, does not keep it from coming but I can learn what is trying to be taught. I can learn what kind of umbrella I need. I can practice living my values with tenacity and grit now so that in even harder times I am practiced, tested. In crisis, we know there is still a way to be love in the world. And under crisis at times, who we really are is revealed. A hard story in my family is that one of my family members was left behind, not brought with the rest of the family on refugee visas by plane to the US. 
because of family tensions, two relatives and my young cousins had to come by boat many years later in a terrifying journey from Vietnam to Malaysia and eventually the US. Apocalypse reveals our best and worst selves. Our best and worst selves. Faced with the unknown, it is easy to face it with either our worst or our best. And it is important that we do not forget that we are both. And we need to remember we are both. We need to remember that we are both because we need our best and worst selves to find both the rubble and the hope. And the best hope is the hope that has been buried, buried under trash, under debris, under it all. That is the hope that survives. That is the hope we need. The hope we need as our best and worst selves, the selves that are human, fragile, the humans that will not last forever. When I first think about the end of the what the end of the world could bring, I first think of all the people who feel closer to the end, whose lives have already been upended in a way in which the world they knew has already ended. I'm reminded of the people who have nothing but concrete walls and windowless rooms to locate their hope in. I think of the men I work with in prison. I think of the many people in immigration prison who I briefly connect with over a hotline. I then think of what I've been told by these people, specifically the men I work with in prison. In all the prisons I have worked in across programs about career development or learning alternatives to violence, they have all told me, keep fighting and live the lives we cannot. Some of them say specifically fight for us. Others just say fight for this, fight this system. But all of them tell me to keep fighting, keep traveling, enjoy all the foods we love, love all the people that love you, and hold so very dear your freedom. As a privileged young white woman, I have a great amount of freedom that remains unchallenged. With this freedom, I of course have great responsibility, but my responsibility is not to find and uncover hope. That is all of our responsibility. My responsibility lies with making sure myself and other white people, other people of privilege, especially my other white women, do not block the way for others. Do not block the way with our own insecurities, our own embedded unrecognized racism, our own fear. Margaret Atwood in her poem, Morning in the Burned House, begins, in the burned house, I am eating breakfast. You understand there is no house, there is no breakfast. Yet here I am. There is a deep sense of loss present in the beginning of this poem, as well as perhaps a sense of denial the want and need to still eat breakfast even in the house that is not there, even when there is no breakfast. I'm reminded of our reading earlier and think, in this house we are like them now, just another species looking at the stars and howling extinction. But we also howl at other things. We howl for survival, like running for the plane we know we will not catch. 
you'll howl because those stars in that night sky were so beautiful. I howl because every heart turn and break, I am surprised and blown away but my, by my capacity to still love. And we howl for the time the earth will remake herself without us. Do you see that and hear that and feel it? It is the forest regrowing, the oceans reforming, and the mountains climbing into sky made of a howl that echoed with a love as its force. My same aunt who was left, who had to come on a boat with her kiddos through pirates and storms, escaping re-education camps, is one of the funnest people I know. In her 60s, she rocks scantily clad costumes on any holiday that might merit one. She loves fast boats, strong drinks, and spending too much time in the sun. She loves a really good breakfast. She lives her life full of beauty because she has seen so much ruin. Beauty too persists, and we have all experienced it. The miracle of beauty breaking through even in the sharpest times. The sweet babe smiling at the memorial. The stunning sunrise, even as another war is declared. The swell of beautiful voices raised in song, even as injustice persists. Pastor Beatrice Rivera taught me, put your hand over your heart. Maybe just try it. Put your hand over your heart. Feel it beat. She says, every day that your heart beats is a day you have a purpose, is a day where beauty is possible. It does not come easy, amen, to find the beauty in the ruin, to let them coexist. It's a spiritual practice for me, a discipline to hone for these days and the days to come. Words from Adrian Marie Brown, um, host of that How to Survive the End of the World podcast. She says, we are living in impossible times. If it were fiction, it would be critiqued as hyperbolic. If it were nightmares, we would never sleep. We are living in times created by our own species. She says, I can't remember the last time my tears weren't human-made. She says, it feels like everything is broken, and we must, each of us, fix our attention on the nearest wound conjure within us the smallest parts of ourselves that are still whole and be healers. Heal with words and prayer and energy. Heal with money, clean water, time, action. She writes, there's enough destruction, there's enough nothingness swallowing the living world. Don't add to it, there's enough. Our visions are ropes through the devastation. Look further ahead like our ancestors did. Look further, extend, hold on, pull, evolve. At the end of the world, I believe we need all our sources of wisdom. 
And what better wise ones to turn to in these times than an astrologer? So we're going to close with words by one of our favorites, Chani Nicholas. We were made for this. Born for this. Brought into being for this. Have no choice but to be sturdy enough for this. We were made for this. Forged in the fires of this. Created in the image of this. Blessed by the knowledge of this. We were made for this. Because it has come to this because we choose to come to this, because everything that has been passed to us has been for this. We were made for this. We are clear, and we are wedded to this. We are in this to win this. We were made for this. Too many lives have been lost for this. Too many dreams smashed for this. Too many families, homes, counties, countries torn apart for this. There is no choice but this. We were made for this. We know that the only thing that truly matters is this. No money, no power, no praise, nothing outweighs this. We were made for this. You can rearrange the world, say up is down, harm is harmless, good is your God, evil is ours, your right is our wrong, but you are wrong. We were taught this. We were made for this. You can edit the alphabet, the Bibles, the scriptures, the laws, the testimonies, and we will still be here on this, immovable from this, relentless in this, loving this too much to let you take this. Because we were made for this. And this was made for us. There is no way for you to keep us from this. We were made for this. Amen. Amen and blessed beam.